This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 348 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, 2K Gray, Kentucky Performance Products, and Bed in a Box. We have a rewind for you today as we revisit a bunch of the dressage tips from past episodes from many different trainers. Listen in. This is Glenn Geek, and this is the Dressage Radio Show from the Horse Radio Network. Reese and Philip are out this week, and the Para will be back next month. So we'll be back. They're going to join us once a quarter this year, the Para Riders, to talk all about Para Dressage. And of course, it's an Olympic year, so they'll be having a lot to talk about this year. Today, we have all tips from past episodes. It's nothing but tips today, and we're gonna we're going to highlight different trainers, and we're going back. Back all the way to the beginning of recent Phillips time on the Dressage Radio Show, all the way back to 2011. We're going to start out today with Marlene Whitaker on designing a freestyle ride. Marlene, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. It is my pleasure, Reese. So we are all, I, I've been looking forward to your interview all day. Marlene is, is a wonderful choreographer and has worked with me and my family for many years. And she's, I think she's the best. But um, I was so excited to have you on the show, Marlene, to talk about the new training level freestyle. Yeah. Which, uh, when it became effective December 1st, a few days ago, it, I think 90% of our amateurs in the United States I'm told, right at training level, first level. So the more people that have access to this, the better. And I do have some concrete suggestions that I think will make it easier for them. Great. Well, let's get started. Let's, I would say the very first thing an interested rider should do is go to the USDF website. The Freestyle Committee, which I'm a past member of, has put uh, a lot of effort into giving clear directives and basic information on on requirements, timing, music, choreography, scoring, and judges. There's a wealth of material there um, that is self-explanatory that I couldn't cover in 30 minutes. So that would be a good starting place. Um, the next thing I recommend is that everyone have a metronome. Now, metronomes come from rather uh, inexpensive versions to quite elaborate versions. How much you spend on the metronome is not as important as the fact that you use the same metronome throughout your entire uh, your entire project because there might be some variability. So get a metronome and take a video of your horse in competition and match his walk, trot, and canter. Tap that beat into the metronome and it will give you a number. Our a horse's gates fall in a specific range. Canter can be 89 beats per minute to about 102. And that is literally how many times that inside front leg strikes the ground in a minute's time. Uh, the walk might be, say, 96 to 118. And when I, when I measure the walk, I choose to measure both front legs because it is more accurate. The trot tends to be, if you are measuring both front legs, which is, again, more accurate, tends to be 
about 138 to 160. So your first job, as uh, if you're new to this, is to find out what tempos go with your horse. That's so important. Once you have those numbers, uh, if your if your listeners have a piece of paper, I would tell them that they should go to a website called, and I'm making sure I'll say this right. Um, Equimusic, E-Q-U-I-M-U-S-I-C dot com. And that is a free online musical freestyle music database. It is quite self-explanatory, and it will give you suggestions for songs at any tempo range. If you know that your horse canters at 92 beats per minute... You insert that, and up comes a list of songs that you could choose from. This will be a, a great help for putting appropriate songs at a person's fingertips. Now, choosing your music is not quite so uh, not quite as easy as saying, "I like this walk, this trot, and this canter." We want your choices to go together in a unified theme to sound like they belong together. We and we want you to. Uh, burn some of this music and take it out to the barn and ride your horse to it to see how you like it. Pick out three or four or five songs in each gate and ride to it. And that that's a way to start. Now, am I getting too detailed here? No, this no is it's perfect. awesome. Yeah, and the I'm use taking of that notes website. myself. Yeah, and, and to have a database of music to work with. Now, I hope that there's a lot of songs on there so that we're not having every, you know, 10 freestyles with the same music. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is there isn't as much music available as we all wish there was. However, this, and so some of the songs in this database may have been used, but if, if you have a rider going to the World Cup, I have to worry very much. I have to worry that their ride has, is as fr- fresh and new as I can make it. But for our riders getting started, it's all right. If they put their music together, uh, it's all right that maybe somebody in another state is using it too. It's all right. Yeah. I, had an interest, <laughs> I had an interesting experience at a World Cup class in Florida one year where I had a rider who had a particular piece of music for the canter. The rider that went in immediately after her uh, had her ride done by someone else and coincidentally had used the same canter piece of music. Jessica Ranshausen was judging at the end of the class. My rider was quite upset to have heard her canter music done by two horses. So I approached Jessica and asked her what she thought about that. And she hadn't noticed it, not because she isn't an experienced judge, believe me, she is, and she's done freestyles, and she knows, but her premise is that every cur is choreographed differently with different surrounding pieces, and two riders can use the same music back-to-back and have it be two totally different pieces of music. So I share that story with my riders when they get uh, a little uptight about what if someone else is using this music? No one else has your horse. No one else has your choreography. No one else will edit it exactly the same way. So have confidence and just try to create the program that represents you. Now, finding the tempo, which I've talked about, is step one. But just because you have picked a song in a tempo range doesn't mean it will work because the other part of choice is the style. 
it is possible to have a song that is tempoed at walk sound like trot. It is possible to have a, a, a piece of music that is tempoed for trot sound like walk. That's just the rhythmic groove. That's the variation we find. So when you, when you get to your resource and are able to find songs in a range that you know might work for you, be cognizant that it has to sound like the gate you want it to represent. Two K Gray's mission is to honor a woman's adventurous spirit by creating apparel that offers comfort while riding, plus style when you're not. In 2011, Grand Prix rider and entrepreneur Chris Pinto joined forces with fashion industry veteran Meryl Ranzer to create a chic and sophisticated line of performance riding breeches that look and feel better than your favorite pair of jeans. The line, made for women by women, is now being expanded and refined by teaming up with global equine manufacturer and distributor Intrepid International and notable fashion designer Kia Tomlin. 2K Gray offers serious riding clothes that are sturdy in the saddle, yet slimming, stunning, and sophisticated everywhere else. Each detail, from pocket shape to seam placement, is designed to enhance a woman's silhouette and to celebrate different body types. The collection is machine washable and proudly designed in the USA. Check out the new and exciting designs at 2kgray.com. That's the number 2, the letter K, G-R-E-Y, dot com. You can also follow them on Facebook at 2K Gray. Feel better and ride better. 2K Gray. And now, recent Philip talked to Nicholas Fife about maintaining a balanced position. Next up, we have a trainer tip from Nicholas Fife a Australian dressage rider based out of Wellington and also Canada. Well, Nicholas, we're so happy to have you on the show this evening and really looking forward to hearing your perspective on this week's trainer's tip about how you hold a balanced position. Can you get us started? Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I, yeah, this is what I want to talk about this evening. Uh, I think everyone's already heard about why it is really important to have a balanced position as a rider, and we all know that it really def- affects the um, how effective our A's are as a rider. Um, I just wanted to talk about how I actually maintain an effective position myself. Um, I think I'm at a little bit of an advantage because I get a lot of practice, and I ride about 10 horses every day, so I certainly get enough time in the saddle and uh, that's something that uh, a lot of the adult amateur riders find harder because they may be only riding one horse a day. Um, so it is really important that they maximize their time in the saddle when they're on that one horse. So first of all, I, I get a lot of practice. Um, but I was actually a competitive gymnast when I was younger, so I'm fairly aware of my own body, and I know when it's right, and I certainly know when it's wrong. Um, so when I'm feeling unbalanced in the saddle or I feel some asymmetries or something's just not out, not quite in alignment, then I try and work it out in the gym. And um, I spend a fair bit of time doing yoga, not as much as I would really like to um, when, when it gets really busy in the season right now, but I try and do a couple of sessions each week. And if I feel like I can't fix it myself in the yoga studio, I um, take advantage of the fact that we have a in-house Pilates instructor at Still Point Farm where I'm based. We're really lucky. and um, 
she stretches me and pulls me and puts me back into position. And that, that seems to really help me find my position back to its balance and center of gravity. Excellent. Do you have any more ideas maybe while you're, while you're riding? What can you do to kind of become body aware or a little stronger in places where you need to be? Yeah, I constantly check. I constantly analyze how I'm sitting. And I, I always, when I'm teaching and when I'm riding, I like to think about what it would look like if, if someone took a bird's eye view photograph from, from the rider from above. And I always like to think that I would be perfectly centered over the horse, that I have a seat bone either side of the horse's spine, that my spine is positioned perfectly vertically in line with the horse. And I, I always try to think of what the view would look like from above so that everything is in perfect symmetry. And I just constantly remind myself to think how how it feels to the horse with, with the way we sit on them and how we can sit in a way that we make 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 it easier for the horse to travel. I, I have to remind myself about my position every day. I, I worked very hard to get a nice position, but it, it doesn't just stay like that. I, I constantly have to work on it all the time. Well, and I, I love that comment because I think it's it's a struggle for all riders. You know, we all work every day very, very hard on our position. Um, and I, and I like I liked how you said that you did a lot of work in the gym and yoga and Pilates. Um, how do you make that a priority in your schedule? Because you have such a busy schedule. That's that's a really good question. It's something that I find very hard to do. Um, it's easier for me when I'm in Wellington than when I'm based in Canada for the summer because when I'm in Wellington, everything's much closer and concentrated here in Florida, so it's easier to get to the gym um, because it's much closer to home. And also, I find if I... Um, I just go to the general yoga classes at the gym and if I, I decide that if I'm going to book a, a, a an appointment with my Pilates instructor, I feel if I'm investing some money into it, I know I'll be there and I know I'll put all of my energy into it. And, and that's how I really get committed to it. Once you invest some money into something, yeah. then it makes you work that little bit harder at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to cancel when you're, when, when you're going to lose that, that little bit of money or, or whatever. I think that's important. No, I think exactly. the three main, the, th- the three main areas, you know, like I think getting instruction, you know, the use of mirrors when you can use them and um, maybe some videotaping is three ways to really work on your position. Do you guys have anything anything to add to that? Maybe, Nicholas, you can talk and then Reese. Yeah, I, I, I utilize all of those things. Um, but I think, I, I just think that eyes on the ground are really important. I don't think I ever ride unsupervised. I certainly would never ride with anyone on the farm, just purely out of a safety aspect. Um, but I very rarely ride a horse without someone watching me. Um, and I know, I know I'm a professional and I do this for a living, but I still think that it's, it's that important that I, I ride with supervision uh, every day so that I, I do stay on track and that I, I, I do maintain a clear system in my training. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Um, you know, sometimes when, when I'm in Kentucky, I don't, and, and I'm not able to have instruction all the time. Um, but I'm lucky. My sister, uh, we've talked about her on the show before, has ridden Grand Prix. So if I really feel like I've got something not going well, I'll call her out or my mom. Uh, I also have my assistant trainer who can come out and say, oh yeah, hey, it looks a little this way. Um, so I think utilizing the people that are around you um, for, for the, the riders that, that can't get instruction. Obviously that's the best, but 
for sure having people around that are watching and, and, and are taking care of your position. Uh, I think I, every lesson I teach, try to give each of my students a little tidbit on their position. Say, okay, you need to move here. You need to be there. So I think just also us all paying attention to the detail of the position is, is critical as well. Yeah. I, I, agree I don't with think, you. yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to have a, a a world-class trainer all the time, but just a riding body to say, look, you're really leaning to the left or, you know, just a reminder set up because I think we can all kind of get into riding, you know, figuring, trying to figure out the horse so much or just trying to make the horse have, you know, the perfect shoulder in or the perfect half pass that we don't realize we're leaning over to the side or, or something like that. Yeah. I agree. I've, I've spent much time when I was based in Australia riding on my own. And I think sometimes there is a benefit in that because it gives you confidence to make a mistake and work something out on your own and you can, and you can really figure out this problem on your own because there's no one else there to help you. Um, so there is a benefit in riding on your own and I just think it's important that you don't do it for extended periods of time. Um, but as you said, even if it's just a riding buddy watching, I think just the fact that you have someone there overseeing your riding is going to make you ride that little bit better, put in a little bit more effort and, and go the extra mile to improve. Oh, absolutely. And then just like you said, the extra effort. I think I always tease my students that, um, you know, I'll, I'll give them a lesson and they're like, wow, you know, I just can't live without you. And I, I tease them that it's job security, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very true. You know, I think we all have to focus on that and, and as, as students. And um, Nicholas, how often do, you know, in an ideal world, how often would you do, you know, your yoga and your Pilates and your different type of exercises? In an ideal world, I would uh, I would work out at at the gym four times a week, and two of those uh, sessions would be yoga sessions. The other the other sessions I do honestly are just weight training, and that, to be honest, is not so um, for me. It's not so positive for my riding. I just like to look good at the beach with my shirt off. <laughs> um, but, Nothing wrong with uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> I like the I'm, honesty. That, <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. It's very good for your core strength. Um, I would like to do yoga at least twice a week. Um, but the other thing that's really important for me to sit really well is that, that I'm not exhausted. Um, when I'm really tired, I find it really hard to maintain a great position. And I really find that I need one day in the week where I don't ride a horse, where I really have time for my body to relax and to rest. And then normally that's a, mo- a Monday when I'm lucky. And then on Tuesday, I get back on the horse and I'm feeling good to go. But for me, it's very important to get enough rest. Oh, I, I second that. I, I also need a day uh, for my body and, and my mind to, to not, not sit on my horses all the time. So, um, But Nicholas, this was such great insight on, on your riding and, and how you take care of your body to be the best rider that you can be. Um, how can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can go to my website. It's www.nicholasfassdressage.com or you can find me on Facebook, Nicholas J. Fass, or follow me on Twitter, Nicholas Fass. Do you want to give us the spelling of your last name there, Nicholas? Just, yeah, that's, just in case. Uh, F-Y-F-F-E. That's F for Foxtrot, Y double F for Foxtrot E. Her life was falling apart around her, but when she saw his sweet face and heard the low knicker, The pain eased. She stood in the stall for some time, running a brush over his sleek coat, down his powerful muscles and over his tight, cool tendons. He cocked his back leg, waiting patiently. She scratched his favorite spot and was rewarded with a crinkled smile and outstretched neck. 
The stress flowed from her body, and she knew with him in her life, she would make it through. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Now up on this All Tips episode of the Dressage Radio Show, we have Kelly McGinn on Changing Gears for a Better Trot. Well, we are very happy to have a friend of ours, Kelly McGinn, on the radio show this evening. Kelly, you are our trainer tip of the week. Can you get started on the tip you're giving all of us? Sure. Um, I've come up with a kind of a, an easy way to explain and to, to help the rider kind of break down the, the trot a little bit. Um, and I think sometimes it's it can be daunting when a rider thinks of, I need to collect the horse or I need to engage the horse. So I've come up with an easy way to describe it to my students that really makes it very simple. Um, and I, I call it gear work, and this is not really, um, you know, kind of a, a new thing in dressage, but um, I've made it really simple. Um, what I try to think about is, like, third gear is, like, your basic working trot. You know, you're forward, you know, you feel like your horse is, you know, even in both reins and, you know, this is just your, your working trot. Um, and then we have the lower gears that are basically like first and second gear. Um, it would think first gear kind of being that trot that you would have right before you walked. Um, and then second gear is that trot that's maybe a little bit in between first and third gear. Um, and then we have fourth and fifth gear, which is fourth gear is more sort of going towards your medium trot. Fifth gear is towards extended trot. So for me, this is a really easy way in, in a lesson to kind of teach the rider and to show the rider, okay, I want you to do this movement in fourth gear, or I want you to do this movement in, you know, second gear. Um, and one of the most important things um, when the rider is doing the lower gears is to make sure that they have a couple of things um, going on as they do this. Um, for example, if the, if the rider is going to put the horse into first gear, um, what this does is this allows the rider to feel that they are riding and controlling the steps of the hind legs. Um, and this is, you know, kind of an important step for the rider to make sure that they, they feel the steps of the hind legs and that they can make sure that the energy belongs to them. You know, in other words, that the horse just doesn't stop when they feel the rider start to ride a transition. Um, this also is a great exercise to get the horse to relax and swing in the back a little bit. Um, but when the rider is doing these lower gears, it's important that they um, keep the horse straight underneath them and not let the horse, you know, kind of step left or right. Um, and it's also important that the rider makes sure that the horse is soft in the hand. Um, you know, we want to make sure that, that the, the horse is on the seat and that the rider is not holding the horse into the lower gear. Um, you know, all of these things combined really make sure that the horse, you know, gets relaxed and, and uses the rhythm. You really want to use the rhythm to make sure that the horse, you know, swings a little bit. Um, and and I want to be clear and make sure that this is not, you know, an engaging exercise. exercise. This is not collecting the horse. And this makes it really easy for the rider, and you know, not thinking like, oh, my gosh, I've got to, you know, make these hind legs quicker. I've got to make the horse you know, more active and engaged. I mean, really, if you break it down and just say, I'm just working on relaxation here and making sure that the horse is soft in my hand. 
Um, and then the next piece of this is, you know, once once the horse relaxes and the rider feels that the, the rhythm is there, then the rider can leave that gear and then maybe go to the higher gear. You know, you might leave first gear and then go to third gear and then maybe come back to second gear. You know, and, and when you are going in and out of these gears, you know, you're making sure that the relaxation and the softness that you achieved in that gear is still there. Um, and this makes it just really, really easy. And, you know, for for example, if you have a horse that, that wants to kind of suck back and be a little bit lazy all the time, you know, the, the, the common thought is, okay, I'm just going to, you know, give a kick and put my leg on and drive the horse forward. You know, and sometimes this is not the best way. It makes the horse then more tight in the back. So, you know, it's a it's a really great exercise then if we have, you know, a lazy horse. We go to the lower gear, you know, and make sure that the horse does not stop. You know, the rider is in control of the steps of the hind legs and in control of the energy. And then you, you know, you might leave that lower gear, you know, and kind of leave it with purpose and, and then push the horse then up to fourth gear um, and, and then come back to third gear and then go back to fourth gear. You know, so this is a really simple, easy way for the rider just to think about it and say, I don't have to engage my horse. It's not that. It's, it's I'm just going from one gear to the next. But I'm also making sure that while I do this, I maintain relaxation, I maintain swinging the back, and, and this makes it really, really nice and easy for the rider. It doesn't, it doesn't become a daunting task to think I have to, you know, engage the horse. Um, this also is a really great aid to, to teach the rider to ride the, the hind legs, to keep keep the rhythm of the hind legs. You know, the, the rider needs to understand that they always are in control of where the hind legs are and to make hind legs step and make the hind legs, you know, work for us, basically. Um, it's also a, a wonderful way for the rider to control energy um, and making sure that the, that the horse is on the seat and not on the hand. Um, it, it just makes everything a little bit more simple, and it also helps the horse to be more adjustable. No, I think that's a great. I think that's a great way to think about, um, you know, riding your horse in the trot. I think we all, as riders, you know, we think we need to be able to extend. We need to be able to come back, but we don't ever think about that. There's a, a huge adjustability in our range of trot, or should be. And if mm-hmm. there's n- not a huge range in our trot, that's something that we need to work on getting. And that's that's what this exercise does. So I think mm-hmm. it's a brilliant exercise and a great way to visualize that there are gears and that there are mm-hmm. you should be able to step it up and you should be able to shift down and you maybe need to shift to third gear from first gear. Um, so I think that's a brilliant way to explain it. So, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Uh, how can thank we you. find you on the Internet? Um, well, I have a Facebook page for my business, and it's Kelly McGinn Dressage, and you can go on there and like it. And um, I try to update it as much as I can, and I put pictures and, and that sort of thing. And you can contact me through that. Um, and then I also have, you know, just a Facebook page for myself. Um, and I would love to hear from people. And if anybody ever has any comments or questions, I, you know, absolutely love what I do, and I enjoy talking to people and meeting new people. So please contact me. I would love to talk to you. Welcome to BedInABox.com, where you'll find the most comfortable, pressure-relieving memory foam mattress at only one-third the cost of the leading brands. We have created an exclusive memory foam that sleeps cooler, rebounds quicker, and cradles your body in pain-relieving comfort better than other types of memory foams. 
Introducing our new memory foam technology. By swirl infusing gel into our advanced memory foam, we have created an even cooler, more comfortable sleeping surface. Best of all, it's made right here in the USA. He had been dealing with back pain and chiropractor visits for a while, so we decided it was probably time to find a new mattress. So we started doing some research on memory foam mattresses and found bendabox.com. We were on a trip with some friends and they actually had a bed in a box mattress in their camper. And on their recommendation, we decided to get one for ourselves. They got it to us in no time. We had no problem adjusting and we were thrilled with the comfort. In fact, my husband doesn't have to get up early anymore due to back pain. He can lie in bed for as long as he likes without any discomfort. We recommend Bed in a Box to anyone who has back problems or just needs a good night's rest. We believe we have created the world's best memory foam mattress. Using independent accredited labs, we have tested our mattresses against the industry leaders to ensure comfort and durability. Test results show our mattresses relieve pressure better than the more expensive ones found in retail stores. Buying a mattress over the internet may seem risky. That's why we offer a 120-day zero-risk return policy. You get a full 100% refund if you're not satisfied. No hidden fees and no return shipping charges, and we back them with a 20-year warranty. Sound too good to be true? Don't take our word for it. Read what real customers are writing about us on Facebook, Twitter, Viewpoints.com, and other third-party review sites. We are dedicated to quality and service. We offer fast, free shipping to the contiguous U.S. Your mattress will arrive conveniently packaged and will be ready to sleep on within minutes. With the benefits of the leading brand mattresses, but at one-third the cost, why wait? Start getting the best sleep of your life. Call, chat, or email one of our friendly customer care agents to learn why 99% of our customers sleep better and toss and turn less on their new bed-in-a-box mattress. Probably a couple more for you today. I thought we'd give you a little recent fill-up with some Carl Hester tips on great riding, training, and competing. Great. And um, the other thing that we have is the rest of our Carl Hester's training tips to, to, uh, to get through. I mean, we've enjoyed, we enjoy talking and discussing about all these things. So I hope that our listeners uh, appreciate this kind of stuff. And, and maybe if they don't, they can contact us and tell us not to do that. But otherwise, we're going <laughs> to exactly. keep looking for the stuff because we really, yeah. we really like, we like you know, to talk about it and, and tips and, and uh, you know, gives, gives a little perspective, hopefully, to all the writers out there. Exactly. Should we jump into number 22? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Great. So this is Carl, Carl Hester's list. Um, and we've been doing it. We didn't do it last week, but we did it the two weeks before. So number 22, get someone to video, video you riding so we'll see what's working and where things are going wrong. Sometimes it's more beneficial than to have someone on the floor telling you what you're doing wrong. I think it's great to oh, be able to put yeah. like a picture to your feeling, right? If you can remember what it felt like when you were doing something and then now you're watching it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that, that can't be right or that really is right. I mean, it's positives and negatives. So, um, yeah, I like to tell people, I mean, I think we've talked about it before on our trainer tips and stuff, you know, videoing, such a great technology to be able to use. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I, there are websites, horseshow.com is one where you can actually send your video in and you can uh, get training. Uh, you can also uh, video your test and get judged. So it's also a good tip that if you are in a remote area and you want some help from an instructor, 
there there are ways now if you video and and get it on YouTube or or upload it to those sites there are some pretty good sites that you can get some very affordable coaching um and you can watch it multiple times so um that's another thing that's great yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, the next tip is a good trot is all about suspension. When our horses are strong enough, we teach passage and use it to get suspension in the trot. We rise while doing this exercise as it makes it easier for the horse as a, and encourages lift. From passage, we take the trot forward until he realizes that he needs to keep the suspension that he had in passage. If he loses the suspension, we halt, ask for passage, and start again until he maintains the suspension in trot. Well, I think it's maybe not... Not so helpful for horses that aren't talented enough to passage, but I, you know when I when I teach people and and we talk about suspension and lift and and cadence and all these types of words, you want to think like you're you know like you're riding passage, right? You know you always want to go towards that, you know, to help the horse get stronger and better balanced and uh, and you know sometimes I always you know I picture what I want, you know, in my brain, even though, even if the horse isn't capable of such a high lift or whatever, you, you always have a goal to meet, right? A goal to get to. And, and that is a good one. That, that kind of yeah. trot. Yeah. This is something that I'm working with, with my black mare, Winnie. This is, this is exactly what I'm trying to teach her is how to have that suspension and, and keep it. So, so this is a tip that, that actually I'm going to kind of reread and, and really think about for her. So there's certain horses that I think this, uh, when they're at that level, uh, can be very helpful. So number 24, as a test of your training techniques, go into rising trot and drop your reins. Your horse should stretch down, but if he sticks his head up, something needs adjusting in your training. Well, I mean, this yes. is a movement that is in, is in the training level <laughs> test, right? So, and that's why it occurs it is. there. And I think this is a hard one. You know, I actually just, I was riding, riding today and, and having my assistant, like, where does it look like the horse is stretching because sometimes it feels like they're stretching. I have trouble, especially on the young horses in training level test three. There's the stretchy trot and there's the, the stretchy walk. They're very, very, um, important and, um, very expensive, um, scores. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so you need help on this, you know, uh, more than, more than, I mean, I, I, I had it today. So don't be afraid to pull somebody in and say, is, is that the stretch that the judge is looking for? Cause sometimes it doesn't feel like that from up top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our next tip, never tell your horse off when teaching him flying changes. Just keep repeating them until he gets it right. Or he'll start to get nervous and tense about doing that. And I think, you know, this is good about training in general. You know, some positive reinforcement is worth twice as much as, you know, kicking them or giving them a whip, right? I mean, it's it's very important that they learn to trust their rider. You're working on a partnership and a relationship and, and flying changes for sure. Because once the horse gets nervous, it's so hard to get them out of that kind of tension and problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I mean, flying changes, PF, I mean, there's a, there are a couple big things where, you know, or even just getting the horse to walk, you know, if you reprimand them too much, sometimes they get really nervous. So this can go for a couple different things. But yeah, we always say that repetition is the best way to train. So if you're able to repeat it until they get it right uh, and they learn, oh, that's what you want, sometimes that, that, that will go away and, and you don't get that nervous tension. So number 26. If you can't halt square on the center, 
the line. It's your fault. It requires training. So it makes so to make sure you can do this, teach your horse that he must always stand square, even mounting or dismounting. Teach your horse to stand square, ask for it alongside the school, trot, ask for a few steps of walk, then step into the halt. He must step forward into the halt, not halt, not back to halt. Um, this is this is something we try here all the time. You know, if you halt, it better be square, because it is it it is it is purely repetition. So I'm yeah. a believer in in this. Yeah, one. paying attention to the details, right? That's just detailed yeah. riding and making sure that every single halt is the best one that you can do and that you work on it, right? It's not, you know, none of the movements and none of dressage is magic. It's just training and and careful repetition and and detail riding. So the halt is definitely. You know, it's big. It comes in, you know, from from training level or pre-training level to Grand Prix. You have to be able to halt. You have to be able to halt square. And uh, like it says here, step forward into the halt so that he can get square correctly. You know, it's it's about balance. It's about the horse being in between both of your legs and in front of your leg a little bit. So um, it takes time to get to get it for sure for everyone. There's no ma- you know there's no magic to it, but. Uh, you know, if you practice it a little bit every day, it gets better, and then and then you have great halts. Our next yep. tip is hiking up hills will help with fitness and muscle development, if you have hills, I suppose. Yeah, I know. We have hills in Kentucky. Do you have hills in Canada, Philip? Well, I mean, it's a big country, so in places there <laughs> and in places there are not hills, please. Well, where you are in Fergus, Ontario, do you have hills? <laughs> yeah, we have hills. Um, you know... Not all properties have hills, so I mean, um, sometimes it's good to get out and, you know, if I have a friend, you know, um, with a property with a good hill on it that, it, you know, they have horses or whatever, that it's a good idea, you know, just go for a hack somewhere else and uh, because it really, without having to work the horse in a school or whatever, it's great to keep their minds fresh and, and put them on a hill and that makes them strong, that's for sure. I've used it in my training and, and it helps helps the canner a lot, so um you know, find a hill, ride on it. I think you can get yeah, a lot done exactly. without being in the in an arena, you know? So that's great. Well, we, we had a funny thing. Our neighbors brought in a treadmill. And Travis, my husband, um, who looked at me and he said, why don't they just ride them? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I laughed. I said, well, you know, certainly if you're in an area like Florida that doesn't have hills, uh, a treadmill can can help uh, and 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 do that. But we we when we bought our property, we made sure there were some good hills. So we have some good hills here in Kentucky. So they're perfect. So excellent. One of the most common and dangerous saddle fit concerns is the restriction of the shoulders' freedom to move. Some saddles slide over the shoulder blade while riding. Some permanently rest on the top of the shoulders, and some pinch behind the shoulders, which inhibits full movement and leads to soreness and poor conformation. Short of buying an entirely new saddle, what can you do to give your horse the comfort to freely move his shoulders and perform at his highest potential? The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the Shoulder Relief Girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girth's recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. An added bonus to the shoulder relief girth's unique design is the elbow comfort feature. 
The recessed ends, designed for saddle fit, now relieve pressure for elbow comfort as well. Similar girths can be purchased for over $275. But thanks to the enormous popularity of the shoulder relief girth, we are able to offer them for only $124.95. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available. And now we wrap up the show with a couple of tips from Hillary Moore Hebert of Dressage Today. I know you all love when she comes on the show and when uh, Reese, Philip, and Hillary geek out. So we're going to end the show with a couple of those tips. Reese and Philip will be back next week here on the Dressage Radio Show. We have some exciting events also coming up on the Horse Radio Network. We're going to be live from Road to the Horse in March. We're going to be live from Rolex in April. So we have a whole bunch of things that we're looking forward to. And Reese and Philip, of course, will be uh, along the way here with us as well. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon and a couple of more tips to round out your day. This is a, a fantastic tip. It's from one of our best U.S. judges, Janet Foy. She has a monthly column called Test and Techniques, where she talks about from a rider and judging perspective, uh, how to do separate movements in the test. And this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, she talked about in the pre-St. George, you go down the long side, you ride shoulder in, then you do a volte immediately into a half pass to center line. And um, I appreciated this for myself because uh, I have been doing the pre-St. George this year and this tip has made it so that I have gotten no less than a seven in any of my trot tour this season. So this is what her secret is, is the volte is the least amount of bend of those three pieces. The shoulder in is the second most and the half pass has the most bend. And this seems really simple, but when you get on, when you get focused on riding each piece of the movements, you're worried about, you know, where your shoulder in is. Are you on three tracks? The volte, are you getting the geometry correct? The half pass, you know, maintaining consistency. And it's really easy to forget that you have to transition the bend between them. So I always think in my head as I'm going through it that it's in this order for bend, some, least, and then most. I think that this is something that is very worthwhile to think of in the pre-St. George, but also in any moment, in any test where you have to change the amount of bend. I think you should pay attention to it regardless of the level that you're at. I love this. And I, um, you know, we, we talked and got the show notes a little early and um, I'm doing my first pre-St. George on Winnie this weekend. And I practiced this very, very clearly, just like you wrote in, in our notes. And it is a lot harder than you think it is. You think, oh, that's not so bad. But when you really, when I really started writing and thinking about it and how much bend and where should she, should she be in each part, um, it, the first time I went through, it wasn't as successful. And then I had to stop and think about it. And then I did it again. It was so much better. And I had a, a clearer kind of way of going. So that was great month, we are lucky enough to have a new expert for the clinic that I was talking about earlier, Suzanne Monditz, and she's a 
fantastic biomechanics authority. Um, she is going to be critiquing riders' photos that they submit, and everybody is welcome to submit them. So I encourage any listeners to do that. Um, she also gives really neat t- tips that anyone who's reading can use in their own riding. And the one that I really liked is for an exercise that improves your lower leg position. And what she encourages you to do is to um, post in a trot with a jumping seat as opposed to a more upright dressage seat. And then when you're standing in the stirrups all the time, you want to deliberately move one of your lower legs rhythmically forward and back in back into the middle position and then further back than that. So it's almost like a pendulum what you're doing. Then you want to go and alternate and do that with the other leg. And then when you're comfortable with doing that, you want to alternate each leg one at a time so that when one is back, the other is forward. And you're almost doing kind of like a little scissor kick back and forth. Um, And that will give you a lot of awareness and control for your lower legs as opposed to what I sometimes hear with our experts in the publication of, you know, kind of having a very stick-like figure in your dressage position, this is giving you more mobility and and balance from motion as opposed to stiffness. How would somebody submit a photo? How does that work? So the most important thing is it has to be a high-resolution photo. So nothing pulling off of your Facebook page. Um, But most uh, cameras on phones, I think, are pretty high enough resolution now. Um, but I would encourage people if they have a nice photo from a horse show or a clinic that they had so that they're in a really nice turnout, um, that they just take that. You email it to us at dressagetoday at aimmedia.com. And the the email address is just on our website, dressagetoday.com, so that they can go ahead and submit that. And then uh, it just gets put into the line of photos to be critiqued. And um, then it will come up in an upcoming issue and we pretty much have a a small enough list that everybody who submits something will get critiqued as long as the photo is clear enough and um, you know high enough resolution and then the next most important thing is they absolutely must be wearing a helmet in the photo yay right the helmet thing very important (laughs) very important supporters of that and I'm glad that the magazine um, is a big supporter of of the riders and the and the clinics and everything in the magazine wearing helmets. That's super important. Yeah, and that's something, you know, on a side note, that's just really important for us. And obviously, not all of the top riders ride in helmets. So there are some people in top hats, but we, um, you know, really have it be a rule of thumb that everybody has helmets just so that we can be good role models. And there is not a day that you will catch me if you surprise me at the barn where I will not have one on. So... That a girl. We feel the same way. (laughs) Tell us about the next article. Okay. So um, this one is really neat. It's also a great rider position tip, and it's from Grand Prix trainer David Blake. And on a side note, his article is really interesting. He talks about a gender-based approach to training horses, and he just talks about anecdotally different horses, uh, stallions and mares and geldings, and what he sort of experienced. But 
Um, this is for every horse, regardless of the gender, when you're riding, that he says it's really important that all dressage riders have to learn to sit quietly so our horses stay responsive to the slightest shifts in our balance and seat. The less a rider moves, the better a horse can perform. And I think that David is um, really right, and it's really important for riders to remember this. Um, someone once told me that if you are unbalanced on your horse's back, it's almost like if you were to have um, a monkey on your back trying to perform a task. And if you think about with the dressage movements and the difficulty for the horses to maintain balance, having something on their back moving all around, you know, that just makes it 10 times more difficult. And, um dressage is hard anyway. So I think that was a great tip. Oh, it's so true. And and I think it takes so much muscle control and you can, can really think about how much body control it takes to sit still. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So I think that's I think a great, it's a really tip hard con- concept as well, because you're not exactly sitting still, right? You've got to kind of move with the horses, right? I mean, it's just, it's just really important not to be doing your own thing on top, but, you know, facilitating each movement uh, with your own body, right? Because I see a lot of riders trying to so hard to sit still, but they're actually kind of sitting against the movement, right? And that's, that doesn't work either. I mean, it's, it's really about creating that partnership and, and working together as the horse goes forward or back to a halt or sideways in a half pass. I think that's yeah. that's really really the the most difficult thing about about uh, about riding dressage because it's got to be so harmonious. Right. And wouldn't you say too though that it takes, you know, so much strength that way. You know, you have to yeah. be strong but also flexible. So it's important to do strength work but also flexibility training so that you can do both things. Well, I think what's really interesting too about it is I think it takes um do you guys notice that it takes more strength when it's new and less strength later? Yes. So that absolutely, um, you know, like if you think of someone who has been um, bedridden or whatever for a while and then get up to just stand and walk, it's so fatiguing. And yet it's something we really take for granted as being easy. And i definitely notice as I progress in my training, um, you know, it gets easier and, I definitely noticed because I can't have as many cookies as I did when I was younger, but... um. (laughs) That's me too. 